It is Wednesday, July 27th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And joining us today is a special guest who spends most of his time swimming around in gold coins like Scrooge McDuck. He is the 2021 champion of Underdog's Best Ball Mania 2. You can find him on Twitter at Chess Liam. You can find him drafting regularly on his YouTube channel. He's Liam Murphy. Thanks very much for joining us today, Liam. What's going on, guys? We were talking backstage, and uh, Matt took me by storm here. Had a nice, mellow, slow voice. The channel <laughs> launches, and he jumps into action. I love it. I'm excited. Let's do it today. I like to start it like espresso. It's actually, uh, uh, it's it was a suggestion from our buddy Jason Phelps a while back because we added intro music to the beginning, and it's the LL Cool J song, and the music's <laughs> like, deep as blue as my head is like a shark, and I'd be like... Hey, it's August 15th. He's like, dude, it really <laughs> needs something. You got to match that. So I, I, I like getting it going like that too. And I, sometimes I wonder if I should tell people so it doesn't startle them, but you know, it, it more, it's more authentic that way, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I loved your guys intro. I got to step up my game. I'm using the, uh, the, the free 30 second countdown video right now. Um, we'll, we'll upgrade that as we go though, but excited to rip a best ball mania three with you two today. You just let me know when I'm going to fire it up. You can feel free to enter it anytime as Liam just introed for us. We are doing a best ball mania three draft. And I mean, I don't know about people watching, but I want to see how the guy who won a whole bunch of money with it last year does these things. Of course, you know, we'll talk to you along the way about how you are handling these drafts. Jared, what are you looking to get out of this discussion with Liam? Yeah, Liam's a chess player and a poker player. And I think, you know, he, kind of incorporate some of those strategies and those thought processes into how he, he drafts. So I, I always learn strategies and, you know, theories from watching um, Liam draft. I, I think you know, personally, I think I'm better at the player analysis, but I, I still could you know, <laughs> get better as far as the strategy goes. So I, you know, I, I think it's, it's good to draft with someone like Liam here. Yeah. Two part D gen, one part sharp. That's, that's my, uh, that's my motto. We got one more here if you want to draft with us. And yeah, I think I like the, player take side of fantasy football i'm big on that you know like i know some people are strictly hey you know like no the only way you win is roster construction and strategy and no i'm not for that like i think player takes are not going anywhere um yes like when the final is nearly 500 people you're going to need to find a way to get strategic to give yourself a good chance to win if you can get there but player takes are important Looks like we got some uh, some common people in fantasy football Twitter. Eagles, another fellow draft degenerate, probably probably does most drafts because he, he maxes like the the small field yeah, things too. Uh, I'm, not, in, I'm not. He's I'm in not like every. That. He's in like every other draft I do. I swear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's stranger to find an underdog draft that does not have James Brimacom yeah. in it. I think at this point. <laughs> Absolutely, and I I know he doesn't agree um, with a lot of. Things like even I agree with. So it's nice to have independent thinkers out there. And like, you know, it's it's hard. Like now I'm in the content streets. But honestly, if someone gives me pushback, an idea I think is sharp, like what is the incentive for me to change their opinion um, if I think it's a winning strategy? Like there is none, you know. So this year I've been way more open about trying to help the people out because, you know, I think it's hard to sun run and 
take down with these really large field GPPs. Um, but we're going to give it our best shot. We, we pulled the 111 for any audio listeners out there. Yeah, so, so like Liam, when you, when you get your, your draft pick, and like you said, you're 11 here, um, how much planning are you doing before the draft even starts based on the draft pick about, you know, how, what this build is going to look like, you know, stacks you might be targeting. How, how much are you doing beforehand and how much is it, you know, just, just letting the, the board come to you and, and, and seeing what happens? I would say the majority of the time I am just letting the board come to me and just, you know, uh, adapting on the fly. Occasionally, though, I will come into a draft and being like, look, I want to do X strategy um, just because I either think that usually it's because I think the roster construction is unique and good. So, you know, like last year, if we can take an example that the field was doing a lot is in like like an example is they were going in with the mindset, hey, I'm going to draft hyper fragile, which typically means. I'm going to draft three running backs to start max four. Maybe you start all four to begin, you know, like that is something that the field was doing at a really large clip. Now, why did they do this? It's because the winner of best ball mania one, Justin Herzig did that. You know, he was going on some content talking about it. So the field was like, Oh, like that one, I can do that. You know, like, so that's an example of something like not to do probably, but I think there's different roster constructions where if you know, the field, is doing four running backs to start a large clip. You can do a lot of different things. You can do zero running back where, you know, like, and uh, the people that don't want to do zero running back, which means like no running back to begin, they'll do a zero running back, but their version of zero running back is like getting their running back in the fourth or fifth round. (laughs) Whereas like, if you just want to be different than like the field, don't take your first running back until like the seventh, the eighth, the 10th, whatever. And now you're going to be so different than the field because it's not comfortable and people want to look at the roster and feel I'm comfortable. This is the team. Like, no, yeah, you, you want to be able to post it to Twitter and everyone says, Oh, that's a sweet team. Yeah. And I post teams all the time and I'll ask people like rate them out of 10. And sometimes people are like two out of 10, four out of 10 because that's probably good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, no, it's great because they're not uh, comfortable. Um, all right. So I'm on the clock here. We'll, we'll get back to that thought. I just don't have that much Devante. So we're going to, you know, with Diggs being gone, we're going to take him. I do like a large part of me wants to say that he's mispriced because he's being priced as if he is still on the Packers and he's not. The other hand, like I want to be buying pieces of the Raiders. The the yards were there for Carr at nearly like 5,000. He just didn't have the touchdowns that should go up. And, you know, like like he, he has the talent to do it in an individual week, which is important. Yeah, to me, he's discounted like a few picks versus where he'd be if he was still on Green Bay. I think he'd be more of a mid-first rounder if he was still a Packers. I think you're getting a slight discount. I think he's fine at 111. Any consideration to Kelsey there? Where are you at on him? Um, yeah, I just, just I'm almost always going Kelsey. There is why okay. I'm doing Adams this time, and I I don't really think he is discounted because I have plenty of teams last year that would go Adams Hill right at this pick slot. May I guess. Later yeah, in the I, season, once he was back with Green Bay, he did right. rise up to like the 106, 107. But with me being back on the clock, you know, we'll have to talk about Mike Evans now with Godwin bullish. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do that right now. I think I'm going to grab Debo. We're going to start with no running backs and just let the let the field decide which ones are going to fall to me. How are you feeling about Mike Evans now that uh, Godwin is looking uh, – 
Like he could even play week one or something. Yeah, I liked him around this spot before yesterday's news. Now I think he's more – I'm actually surprised he went there. Um, now I think he's more of a, a late second rounder is where I'd be looking for Evans. You know, we'll see where his ADP settles. Yeah, yeah, and I mean we're splitting hairs between like top of the second versus like end of the second. Like still a great pick. Um, I'm still going to be scooping him up if he falls here. But mostly I think it's a sign that like – like we need to talk through Godwin, Gage, Julio, how we still feel about that bunch. What's the pecking order? Yeah. Did you guys see how much money Julio got? That just that just dropped today. I know. What was it? One year, six million. That's uh pretty pretty good. I thought. Yeah, it's actually it a bit higher than I would expect. Pay for, ten you know, million a year to Russell Gage, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, look. yeah, me and Matt, me and Matt already hashed out this whole uh, Julio Gage thing yesterday. We were working on updating our projections. What and um, what did you guys what did you guys come to? I'm a Julio guy. Russ is a gauge or uh, Matt's a gauge guy. I would say I'm more gauge over Julio um, because gauge was good with like an aging Matt Ryan and a bad O line. They gave him a three year contract, ten million a year. Like Brady called him and was like, "Hey, I want you to play with me." You know, like that's that's a pretty bullish sign of like. Any quarterback that's going to do it, I feel like Brady is the nar- the narrative guy who like is yep. observing the league and being like, "This is a guy I want on my team." Um, yeah, but and, I mean, do I mean, don't you think don't you think Brady had a say in them signing Julio? One hundred percent. I think Brady's thinking back to a couple years ago and was like, "This was the best guy in the league. I can make him good again." Um, but it's just he's thirty two or something now. He yep. like at like that type of wide receiver archetype, like. He's a big guy. He's not. He's not small like Antonio Brown, where I think they age a little bit less gracefully. And I mean, ultimately, all of them can do it. But who do I think is going to more likely hold up as the season progresses? I would guess Gage. And even if Julio is healthy, I could see them load managing him in the fantasy playoffs as they're getting ready for the playoffs. Because like, are they going to really be incentivized to throw to Julio against the Panthers Week 17? With like, if he's you know suffered through some soft body stuff like usual, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see where all these guys land in ADP. Um, you know, the, the the point I've made is I think you can be invested in all these guys because the Bucks easily easily led the league in pass attempts last season. I think the moves they've made this off season, you know, with signing Gage and now Julio says they want to remain pass heavy, and the tight end room absolutely sucks with Rob Gronkowski out of the picture. So you're gonna have, you know, these four wide receivers, you know, could account for 70, 75% of the team's targets um, on a super pass heavy offense. So, so they can all deliver if, you know, their their prices kind of adjust to this news we got yesterday. I 100% agree with you because um, we saw them do it with Gronk, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Godwin last year. Um, I forget what I was going to say, but we're coming up on the clock. I just noticed that <laughs> Eagles is doing the opposite of us. Um, of course. Back to the Bucks, though. Yeah, like I agree with you. Like the t- I'm not attacking the tight end. Oh yeah, what I wanted to ask you is, let's pretend Julio settles in as a tenth round pick. Are you yeah. taking him there? Because I, I will not <laughs> be doing that. Okay, I, I was going to ask you that. I think that, that's a that's a Liam question. You know, how do you handle these guys? And I think like Daryl Henderson was the best example last year, where he was like a tenth round pick, and then he became a fourth round pick when Acres went down with the torn Achilles. So you you avoid those guys because you're saying right I, I right before we do that, let me ask you. Before we answer that question, how are you feeling about Marquise Brown NFI list? I'm not I'm not stressed about it. Are you hamstring? Yeah. Not, not stressed about, about it. I don't love to see it. 
We don't love to see it, but all right, we're still in. We're still in. We're not letting them fall. Um, we're continuing. We're gonna we're gonna come in with the preset strategy. We're gonna hit some zero RB unless some guys fall to us. Um, I want I want to rip my next pick before I answer that question because I think it's a really nuanced uh, strategic question that I think a lot of people mess up. But with risers and fallers, it it really depends. So like with Henderson last year, and I'll give a bunch of examples because I think that's just the best way to do it. With Henderson last year, before Cam Akers went down, he was like a 10th to 12th round pick. Once he got, uh, once Akers went down, he became about a fourth round pick. Like at first he went to the sixth, then the fifth, he settled in the fourth. I made the conscious decision that I was no longer going to draft him. I had an okay amount from before, nothing like huge. And I was just saying, you know, like I don't believe with all these super teams advancing that if Henderson is the piece you need, that I'm going to be able to make up the fourth round pick, uh, fifth round pick, sixth round pick mm -hmm. compared to 10th, 11th, 12th. Yeah. We're on the clock, twist my arm. We'll grab a brand guy, Gabe <laughs> Davis. So yeah, we're, we're starting heavy zero wide receiver here or zero running back. But um, back, to the, back to that question, you know, like, so that's a case where I just didn't think we could make up the cost. Now mm -hmm. let's talk about Gabe Davis because he is another example we can use. He is a riser this year. He used to be a sixth round pick. Now he is a fourth round pick. So A, I don't think that that jump is too prohibitive. B, there's some sharp things we can do knowing that we took some risers compared to where they were going earlier. So for example, because Gabriel Davis is a uh, riser, it inherently means there are fallers in the market. Now, if we take Gabriel Davis with another faller, we can still make sure the whole contexture of our team is unique. Because I think a mistake a lot of people do is they they look at their old teams and they like they're like look look at this closing line value I got like I got Gabe Davis in the sixth I got Mike Evans in the fifth like this team is great but then I look at the whole team and I'm like I can make that team today because yeah. your running backs right. all you know like the question is can you still make that team right? right and a lot of people are not looking at the whole team to think about the risers and fallers so if I on this team if I add a Ken Walker He's a guy who used to go, you know, like in the eighth to ninth and is now dropping down to like the 10th. Like you can add fallers to make the whole roster unattainable for what it was earlier in the season. And it, it makes total sense. I think two other variables that matter when you're talking about these, you know, risers is, is when is one, when did the rise come? Like if it came when only 10% of BBM three teams have been drafted, it matters much less than if it came, you know, when 60% had been drafted. I think the other thing that matters too is just do you think this player is still a value at his new cost. Like last year, if I thought Henderson should have been a second round pick after the acres injury and he's going in the fourth, like I'm probably still going to take him in the fourth, but I think he's a good value, even though I'm you know losing versus the teams that took him in the 10th. I think you're taught like that's an advancing strategy. Like, yeah, you may advance if he's a really smash pick, but when you mm -hmm. think through, like if 50% of the field is filled, like agree with you heavily there where we have to think about when the injury happens or whatever, when the rising happens, like, if you know, like Henderson is the piece you need, and you're place you're you're placing all these super teams that advanced with him, right? Who got him in the tenth or twelfth? Like, yeah. is is the guys you can get in the tenth, twelfth? Do you think they can compete with the third and fourth round picks? Sometimes, like sometimes the answer is yes. Like, or if you're going to be taking Henderson, you need to be taking some really high upside, really low floor guys in that tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Like maybe a boom bust guy, like an MBS of old. Um, knowing that you're going to need a person that can compete with points with this type of 
player that goes in these ranges. Um, I want to circle this back to the Bucks receivers because I think there is relevance even beyond that specific situation. First of all, for me, Julio, I'm probably not taking him wherever he's going right now in these tournaments because I did take quite a bit of him quite a bit later. And we're talking about the rising and falling, but you know, he's up, he's going to be up like six, seven rounds from before. So it's going to be tough to match that with the falling. So I've got decent shares of him. I think that you can look at this situation since we're looking at this one specifically, you can tell yourself any story that you want about it. And, you know, even just subconsciously work from your own biases for or against individual players. So I try to stay as focused on reality. And in this particular situation, what we know is that the Bucks much earlier signed Russell Gage to a three-year deal with $20 million guaranteed, $10 million, $10 million average per year. They knew Julio was out there, even if he was not at a point physically where he was signing with any team. Jarvis Landry was out there. Will Fuller's still out there. So they knew that there was plenty left at wide receiver. They chose to sign Russell Gage for quite a bit of money. He's 26. Julio Jones is 33. Julio Jones is coming off an injury-riddled season. He's been not practicing at least and an injury risk for several years now. So just if we look at all of the reality and likelihoods here, it's far more likely that the young guy in the peak wide receiver season historically versus the old guy at the point in his career where guys are about half of what they were at peak. It's just more likely that Russell Gage outperforms and gets more opportunity than Julio Jones this season. Let's talk about where we think the players are going to line up in, for the Bucks because Godwin primarily, and I'm going to take Godwin now. I'm just letting it auto down for so we can talk. But Godwin's primarily running from the slot, right? Or in like was Antonio Brown playing outside last year mostly? Like, it, Gage is a natural slot. Is does that push Godwin outside? Is Julio the outside? Like, how do you see that all playing out? Yeah, I'm pulling all this up now. So Godwin was, he played 500 snaps in the slot out of 832 total. So, you know, well over 50% in the slot. I believe Gage actually played more on the outside than you would have guessed last year. Last year, that. after Ridley went down specifically. But he, he kind of had to with the Falcons, right? Because it's like right, Olin right. needs the Kia. Like I, his natural role yeah. is more slot or or is he is he a guy who's more outside and I'm just not uh, that hip? I mean, to, he, yeah. he played limit. He had limited college exposure at wide receiver. So it's a little bit tough to say for sure what he is, because when he came up with the Falcons, it was Julio Gage and Calvin Ridley. And he was stepping in for Muhammad Sanu, who was the slot guy. So he had been a primarily slot guy with Atlanta. The Bucks said that he can play all three positions. I, I would imagine that we'll see it sort out where they like him the most, but it was Godwin primarily in the slot last year. I think he had, Godwin and Gage can both, play both of those so we might even see you know yeah. more of a clear split between them julio jones certainly much more of an outside guy so, double slot with the tight end not running as many I, routes i was just gonna say what's what's a realistic ceiling for how often the bucks can go four wide receivers the cardinals led the league last year at 14 percent. like I, I i'd have to look back to see like what the highs were in previous seasons but i don't know why, why can't you go four wide outs on you know a 30 or offensive snaps yeah i mean that's what I want. I think that's what you want. Does Brady want that? Like, how does that affect him getting the ball out quick and protection? Yeah. I, I, I legitimately don't know those questions. Right. Uh, real quick about my draft. I had wanted to start with uh, six wide receivers and be done. I didn't really like reach. Like, I didn't really want to grab um, 
Thielen or more here as my six. So I decided to grab a falling David Montgomery, both because if we're going to be doing volumes of drafts, we generally want to be scooping up fallers if we don't think like they're actually just like sliding in the market. And the other reason being is of the people building zero RB, those people are not taking a dusty <laughs> David Montgomery. So it's a That's way right. to get unique within a roster construction, just like yeah. getting in the mindset of like, like usually like, you know, Someone that's not Eagles here, but loves running backs, like that person almost always would be like, yes, David Montgomery, like easy pick over, over like a Rob. Um, I would have taken Mooney over Montgomery and done the plan, but we can get a sixth or we can even push it to seven with us having a Godwin. And I really like Godwin on these zero RB builds because you have the wide receivers to uh, help a slow starting Godwin. That's a good example of that being married to your plan and, you know, being able to adjust on the fly and tra- draft to David Montgomery when you get him 10 picks past ADP. Well, and speaking of that plan, how much of a, how much of a zero RB plan did you have at the very beginning? Like once you found the draft slot, did you already know you wanted to do that? Or was it a matter of who got there and have there been any other running backs along the way that made you think maybe I'll stray from it for this pick? Um, I think a, I built a team like this last night. So I was like, let's do it again. B, <laughs> I think the draft slots to do it at a large clip are towards the end of the draft slash like if you get Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, you can also do it over here. Um, The reason why we like it towards the end of the draft is, you know, the end of the draft, if you're taking a running back like Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, whatever, you're inherently making a bet that they're going to be better than CMC, JT, Etc. Like, and so instead, you can just say, Hey, I'm going to have wide receiver locked up while the field is playing around with running back. I'm going to just bet on the chaos of the, the NFL season. People are going to get hurt. Um, now, I did get like a, a tier one running back. So it's pretty nice to have this hero running back build where I start with five wide receivers. Now, like David Montgomery is never going to be like a 25 point per game guy, but can he be a 16, 17 point per game guy? Yes, and those are really, really useful just for advancing, getting through the playoffs, you know, getting to the finals, whatnot. Um, and I thought it would be fun to showcase zero RB because I don't think a lot of people do it um, that right. What do you think people do wrong most in trying to apply it? I think in general, like not just zero RB, but people try not to lose rather than to win. Like, or people try to just advance the roster rather than trying to build a roster that can win the contest. Um, Also, this draft, they reached for Kyler. I would have grabbed, like, Godwin, Kyler, I would have been very about with me having Marquise Brown. I have a bunch of other stack options that line up, actually, with this draft slot later, though, where I can take Trey Lance here. I could take Carr in the uh, ninth, I really like, with me having Adam, so... Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice to have a little bit of week 17 correlation. The Raiders play the Niners in week 17. Let me hit a quick question from everybody's best ball friend, James Brimacombe, who we talked about earlier, Eagles in underdog and other best ball streets. He asked you, Liam says, I know you love your bills. Just wondering if you think pivots to Knox and Singletary is a good strategy right now as Diggs, Allen, Gabe and James Cook are all so expensive. I think in general, you want to be taking pieces on high-powered offenses. 
I like Cook a lot. I like Knox a lot. You know, like I like I like Davis a lot, but I, that doesn't mean I dislike Knox. And look, if Gabe Davis is not up, I'm gonna grab Trey Lance here mm-hmm. with me having this, uh, with me having Debo and this Raiders Niners stack. Um, but yeah, so with um, I like Knox a lot because if Davis is not this like world beating wide receiver too, it kind of means that Knox either is also taking the step to elite, which I think he like next year, it's not out of the realm that Knox is being viewed as a Kittle Waller Kelsey type guy. Um, the touchdowns were there. Obviously the yards were not the Bills should be running more two tight end this year, significantly. So, and even three tight end uh, they quoted and, OJ Howard, all reports that I've read about him is he has not been a good pass catcher, which is great for us as fantasy players because we don't have to worry about taking late OJ Howard. He's going to be the blocking tight end. And it kind of means that they're going to be bumping up the targets for Knox, Davis, Diggs, the wide receivers that are on the field. I think Cook, I like Cook a lot because he can be flexed into the slot late in the play. And Josh Allen can be the power back with two tight end. Singletary, the bull case is like, they're going to be better at running the ball with them getting O linemen that fit their running scheme. Um, the Bills depend on having athletic guards because the guards need to pull. They have. I'm going to take Brandon Ayuk um, to add to this Niner stack and being comfortable stopping at six wide receivers here. But I will add a seventh if I fall a, fi- a falling value. Also, could have taken Brady there to to add to Godwin and I like double uh, elite quarterback as well. But um, so yeah, like. Honestly, I'm taking shots at all these guys. I wouldn't say, uh, like, I'm not fading Diggs, Allen, Dave Cook, but if we do see some fallers, yeah, you probably want to be adding the fallers on elite offenses. Mm-hmm. How, how do you guys feel about the Bills as local Rochester guys? Do you guys ever get <laughs> I, out? To, do you guys get out to any of those camp practices or at St. John's Fishers or anything like that? Uh, I used, I used to before I had a kid. No, I, no I, don't got, I don't got time for that. Um, yeah, I've, I've come around on Dawson Knox partly because of the conversation we had like a month ago uh, when we drafted the, that BBM3 team. And then partly because, like you said, the reports on O.J. Howard have, have not been good as far as his pass catching ability. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of field even on Knox now. He's going to tight end nine or whatever he is. Yeah, the backfield's super interesting. Like, Cook is the guy, I think, who fits what they want to do as that pass-heavy offense. Um, but I also makes them, like so much scarier. Like if I was an yeah. NFL defense, would I rather be defending against Singletary or cook? Like right. cook is terrifying. You know, like he's explosive. He can catch a little, like he can actually catch those little wheel routes and house the ball where Singletary was like an auto four yards and tackled, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Singletary was one of the worst pass catching backs in the NFL last year. Like at, at you know, any metric you want to look at, um, and, you know, the, the Bills obviously wanted to upgrade that. They go after McKissick that falls through and they, they draft James Cook. So, I mean, I mean, Cook, Cook to me, though, is more interesting in full PPR. You know, DraftKings, FFPC, I do think he loses some value on underdog with it being just half. A little bit, but, like, I, I just – I'm curious what they're going to do in the red zone because – and I don't think, like, Zach Moss should not be someone who is drafted at 0%. He is not dead um, – he, you know, the reports have even been good to begin. Like, I think if he remains undrafted, he's a great, like, 18th round pick just to get different. One injury, which, you know, happens to running backs, and he's on. You know, the reports are really good about Cook right now, but we should expect he should excel without pads on. And also, 
it's coming with like Case Keenum. It's not coming with Josh Allen yet. Um, so look, Singletary's good at running. Moss is the bigger guy, but he's like just Moss and Singletary both are not explosive at all. But I'm pretty even on my Singletary Cook exposure, but uh, and I'm and I'm well above the field on both. But I want to be adding to my Cook, just because honestly, like look this. Having an explosive back is just, I think, like literally makes the Bills much more terrifying. Yeah, you, know, you could bring your you could bring your kid out and get him signed by Josh Allen. He's he's, he's signing <laughs> everything out there. <laughs> I'm certainly buying Bills pieces in general. I haven't been overly into the running backs, but I can see the um, case for both of them where they're going. Gabe Davis still is the guy for me that's just overpriced. Real quick, we're talking about him, so we're going to take Cook here. I have no idea what this guy's going to do because he's taking unstacked Burrow. Now, it was a really falling value, but I do like to look at that when I'm the, the 111. Like, is this guy a sharp drafter? Is this guy just clicking buttons? Is this guy, you know, like, um, he's well, like it, it, yeah, he also, only has one, he also only has one running back. So, you know, you could maybe expect him to take at least one of those here. Yeah. And there's a player I would, I would like to take as well that I was like, I was checking, like, which one should I take first? And it, it was Carr. And so now I get Carr. Some people don't like to do this where they take both quarterbacks in the same Week 17 game. I think it's fine. You're just betting that that game and is yep. good and one half. Like, you're going to get the quarter – whichever quarterback's better, you're going to get. And with you making – like, with my first and second round picks being from that game, it makes sense to double up on the quarterbacks. Um, I'm sorry, Matt. Can you repeat that question a little bit? I was – Trying to think through the strategy. On the turn <laughs> not, not a problem at all. It's basically how different are your player evaluations and whether it's the evaluations themselves or the importance of them by format. Like here we have the one and done playoffs drafters. For example, we have the full season scoring. So you, you want somebody that's just having a good year. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's wildly different, right? Like for this, I try to singularly think through week 17 and how to win. Um, now I'm trying to take, high upside guys on both formats, um, guys that can give me huge spike weeks. But um, with draft, like drafters, a player I would almost never take in BBM3 is someone like an AJ Green, a Mark Ingram. These guys who I think could give you usable weeks to start the season, but I am not expecting to do it down the stretch. On drafters, the points week one matter just as much as week 17. So just take the guys who are going to contribute points and, um, you know, it's like, whereas on BBM three, maybe you're thinking through week 17 stacks drafters, something I think is sharp is you can build division stacks and you're guaranteeing yourself that you have eight games, unless they play week 18 that are game stacks, you know, like, so, I mean, obviously like the AFC West is a slam dunk division to do it with, but even so, like NFC East that you can do it with some of these divisions and on the cheap. Yeah, I love that idea of division stacks. I haven't even gotten to drafters drafts yet. I don't have the uh, bandwidth anymore. I'm, I'm just focusing on BBM3 right now. But um, If you are going to, like, right now, just let me tell you, for drafters, it, it's at, like, maybe 14% fill rate. Yeah. I, like, I my guess is a bunch of Twitter people are going to help it fill late in the season. But if it's looking like it's going to overlay, like, sure. you know, you got to fire there over a contest that's going to fill. For sure. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's look at your team versus James's team because you guys did start out quite differently. And obviously we know that both of you guys have had quite a bit of success here. It's funny to look at the colors. They're reversed here. 
Yeah, and and it's kind of nice when he should be wanting to have wide receivers as he goes. I don't need that. So it's like it's nice to see someone doing a different strategy from you, especially when they're close to you, because you know you're not competing with each other. Whereas like Hot Sauce and I are both kind of going zero RB. Um, so we might be trying to cannibalize the running backs, which is good knowledge for me where it's like, okay, I want to be taking running backs on the first pick of the turn before he gets to rip two off. But I like how he's built his squads too. He's waiting on quarterback and tight end. Seems fine. But it's getting harder and harder not to have an elite quarterback because yep. they're really good for advancing and they're really good for the playoff rounds. Yeah, I, I love uh, James's start there. I don't think I could drop a better uh, three RB start than Eckler, Barkley, Kamara. Yeah, I mean, sexy running backs, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and he takes and, Madison. So, so he takes Madison as his fourth. Um, and he's probably do you like, do you like that type of running back as a fourth in this type of build? Or, or would you rather have like the higher floor weekly guy just to, you know, fill in like bye week gaps? No, no, no. I think, I think unquestionably a handcuff is better for his build because he's not like, he doesn't want Naheem Hines' 10 mm-hmm. point spike weeks. He wants, yep. if, if Cook goes down with them having, three studs um whereas like me i might be needing like heinz's points to be able to get to some of the handcuffs i'm going to add in later okay kind of a gross part of the draft with like all these tight ends no one i'm like running home about tight end end is so super flat to me after the top like basically basically after goddard goes off the board how do you feel about pierce like i just barely have any so i'm going to take him here I'd rather have um, Daryl Henderson. I'd rather have Daryl Henderson. I would too, but I have a lot more Henderson, and I'm confident that one of these running backs are going to make it to me. It's like nice to see him take field, so now I know I'm going to get one of these two dudes minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I would take Fire Move here just because, you know, like he had a good year, but I really don't view him that differently than Noah Fan, than exactly. Joku. You know, like I agree with you, Titan super flat. But if everyone sharp is thinking that way, um, and we will take Henderson. Now the the Rams beat re- one Rams beat reporter was saying they viewed Kyron Williams as being a force once it's back. Yeah. I don't know. Like Henderson was hashtag good last year in my opinion. He was playing passing downs in the Super Bowl. How do you view? Like it doesn't make sense that Henderson is so cheap if he's going to be the yeah. guy. How how are you viewing the Rams backfield? I'd have to go back and read that report or the story, but I almost read it more as they see Williams as a long-term replacement for Daryl Henderson. I don't know. I mean, he's why he's a fifth round rookie. He broke his foot in the spring, you know, test, tested horribly. Um, I'm, I'm not too worried about Williams. I, I think, you know, I, I think Henderson's the handcuff. If he'd, he'd be the guy we want. If, do you uh, think you know, they're going to be playing acres for 90% of the snaps? Or do you think that Henderson is third down bat? Like, are they going to change their past philosophy? Yeah, that, that, that's a huge question that I, I think we need answered in August, hopefully. Because, um, you know, McVeigh has tended to want to ride one guy, but I think he's smart enough to, you know, alter that alter that strategy if he has to. And I think it would make sense to, you know, with Akers coming off the Achilles, Henderson's a solid guy. So I, I think it could end up being a more like 65 35, where Henderson does give you some, you know, starter weeks, even, uh, you know, playing behind a healthy Cam Akers. I think we should. Yeah, expect- I mean, Sean McVay, Sorry, go ahead, what he's been doing so far. I think we should expect him to play a clear lead back, maybe a little bit more for Daryl Henderson, but the actions 
to this point have just showed that he much prefers Cam Akers as a player to Daryl Henderson. And I don't think that there is a specific area that Henderson has proved to be better than Akers where he's going to force himself into that kind of role. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like if we're just trying to be logical people and I'm a coach, like am I like my guy blew out his Achilles. Am I going to be running him out there for 90 percent of the snaps weeks one through like seven through 18? I don't know. I would be inclined to say no. Also, Henderson did get Henderson was injured, if we remember, came back for the Super Bowl and they played him. Right. Like they played him. Yeah. In that Super Bowl. Now, was it, it that was, it was Akers? A- yeah, it was it was about a 65-35 split in the Super Bowl, which is I guess you know kind of where I'm getting that from. Now you, you still had Akers, what eight months removed from the Achilles at that point. And, you know, not now at this point. Like if he's ever if he's going to get back to 100, percent he'll he'll be there this season. I think that's We're still a fair question. The, I mean, but, the, I mean the history of guys coming back from Achilles is not good. Right. Um, you know that that's the concern with Akers, but all type of reporting like that with like historical recovery rates. We need to be quick to lose our priors on that because modern science is just like it advances, right? So like these people citing like like you know people on Twitter are like citing ACL research from like 2011 to 2015. I'm like, hello, like you know, I know you want these high quality studies, but you're not going to get them for five years for this current landscape. Like it's clear to me that athletes are getting better entering the NFL each year just like coaches and our understanding as a society on science and whatnot. And then also just like, you know, medical field is getting better at bringing you guys back. So, I mean, we, I mean, we have James Robinson practicing seven months removed from his Achilles. So maybe it is, maybe that timeline is shrinking. I mean, Godwin not on the pump. Like what's that? We should certainly assume and treat as though medicine is getting better, but we also only have what we have to go on. So, I mean, if you're looking at it and saying, this is definitely how it's going to go because that's the way ACLs were going up through 2015, that's the wrong way. But I think it would also be wrong to say, forget that it's from five years ago and medicine's better now. I think you ingest it. You say, all right, if he falls down to this point, I'll take him because I think he's going to recover more quickly than guys did five years ago. And there's a chance. So somewhere in between is generally the way I think, as opposed to either extreme in situations like this or plenty of others. I was just checking out the, the numbered picks at Mm -hmm. the different positions because I'm choosing between running backs and tight ends here and whether I'm taking, you know, two tight ends here, two running backs, a running back and tight end. What yeah, it like seems like a time work? to take a, a tight end, but I, I don't like either of those guys at the top of the board. Yeah, I'm going to take – I was hoping to go Tyrion and Herbert, um, but we're going to take Tyrion definitely. It You know, it's – I would say it's negative weekly correlation with having Tyrion and Trey Lance, but positive season-long correlation and positive playoff leverage, where it's like if Lance lets me down one week, it hopefully it's because they're doing it on the ground. Um, yep. And like Elijah Mitchell, great season last year, but uh, really would have liked to get Gainwell there. So now I'm in a tough spot. I think we're going to take James Robinson. Like he just has the upside there. I have a lot of ETN, so it makes sense for my profile. You're, you're still you're still tight end less, right? I am. I'm confident okay. I can put tight right, end together yeah. with my four last picks, and it's like. Again, I don't really view – there's some tight ends I like late that the, the, the field doesn't like. So we'll yeah, get some too. of those guys. James Robinson, like, he, he 
what's stopping him from doing another 150 point season? Peterson historically like is a road is a rotating running back guy, right? Yeah, I, I think so. It depends on who he has, though. You know, that's I, mean, the... yeah, I mean, most guys are right. I mean, most most teams right. are committee backfields now. But even even if so, like the plan with ETN is not jam them up the middle. You know, Correct. like pro- and probably not in goal line. And so, like, you can get there with Robinson in a couple ways. Like ETN could get hurt. You know, like Robinson could just be the goal line guy. The Jaguars could be better, much better than now that they don't have Urban Meyer around their you know neck. But I so like I like how this running back contexture group has has turned out. Like I got an every week starter. I got a guy who at worst, like James Cook, why I like him and where he's going right now, even on underdog, is like at worst, I view him as like Naheem Himes, right? At ceiling, he's gonna be drafted at like a third, second round pick next year. Yeah. Um, should be giving me some usable weeks right away as well as like at least like getting a couple of passes. Henderson, maybe he at like maybe Henderson and Tyrion Davis Price, maybe at like best or at worst, they're just handcuffs, which like I have the guys that can get me to some handcuffs. Damian Pierce, like, I don't know. Like, is it really gonna be shocking to me if uh who's the not Marlon Mack, not Rex uh, Burkhead? Yeah, is it really gonna be shocking to me if Burkhead again goes undrafted <laughs> by the whole field yeah. and again is giving you these usable weeks? No, but I don't know. I'm just kind of siding with the market there. Yeah. I know Vegas has a pretty big rushing prop on him, which is a a little bit of you know like now you can't bet yeah. that much money on rushing props, so I don't I don't like take props as as bylaw, but it's nice to know. And I'm gonna. Push I like the player. The- I like the player. You know, D- Damian Pierce. Um, don't like the situation in a bad offense. I think it could be like a three man committee with Pierce and Max splitting early downs and Burkhead playing in passing situations. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, but. I would say facing the Jaguars rushing defense and facing the Houston Texans defense in week 17, maybe something I want to be doing. And we have uh, running backs on either side of that game. Um, Whereas like at worst, if they're just week 17, I like their rushing matchup. Like I had a lot of success with that last year. It's why I was a millionaire. There's a reason why I had a lot of recently retired Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Because I was like, you know, really lizard brain logic. Damn. Taysom Hill. When yeah. really, really would have liked to grab him. Um, he's about to. He's a. He's a riser. Yeah. I see, I see yeah. He's gonna be. You know, I was on him, and people were clowning me for that. Um. Now, now people are becoming more hip to that. But. So what is the case for Taysom Hill? Because I'm not on him. Check my Twitter. Check my Twitter, man. I looked at. No, um... I'm doing a. I'm doing a podcast right now. I'll check your Twitter later. <laughs> well, so, so, I mean, I'll. I'll give you the case. So his last 16 games that he didn't start at quarterback his numbers would have made him tight end 21 and in, in half PPR. And, and, you know, it's largely based on the rushing. He has like 56 carries in those 16 games. So you, you're, you know, again, it, in games, Taysom Hill scores a rushing touchdown and he, he's going to be like a top 15 tight end that week. But if he's focusing on tight end for the first time in his career, what's the yeah. rushing picture look like? Cause to well, me, it, I, I oh, the coach, Dennis the coach rushing now. The coach yeah, came Dennis out Allen yesterday. yesterday. He's going to stay in a, in a, you know, he's going to do some of that quarterback rushing stuff. Okay. So. Yeah. They said, uh, so Darrell Williams, I actually like, like, and I know some people don't. Um, so the question really for me is like, am I doing three tight end or am I doing four? I'm going to take Darrell Williams and figure it out. Now I also like McKinnon who goes later. And I like Brian Robinson. I like Brian, I like, I like Brian Robinson. I like, Chris I love Evans. Brian Robinson. like there's, there's running backs I can get here, but screw it. We're going to take Darrell Williams. Another guy who 
maybe is just handcuffed and not giving me the usable weeks. But where are you at? Where are you guys at on the Arizona backup running back? And then we'll finish the the Taysom or let's finish Taysom first. So I, you know, at at worst for Taysom, he's the third string quarterback, right after Andy Dalton. Plus, he is probably going to be the starting tight end over a bad Adam Troutman, right? Yeah. I don't and, know about that. I don't know about that. And he's probably going to get, and he's probably going to get goal line rushing yeah. work, right? Like, so he's like, he's like this goal line back. Kamara could get suspended. You know, he could be just like short yardage, whatnot, explosive player. He did have that Liz Frank foot injury or something, which is not great, but he's healthy. Dennis Allen said, hey, I want to, him to remain in the role that he has been successful in in the past. Like, I don't anticipate that changing. I don't know, man. Like, I really, like, I wish he was listed as a quarterback so I didn't have to think about it. But if you're going to list a guy who could get quarterback snaps at a tight end, that is a literally game-breaking type of player. Yeah, so here's here's my take on Taysom Hill. He, you know, could start at quarterback at some point. He could keep getting those rushing touches near the goal line and score touchdowns at any point. And, you know, there could just be something that we haven't seen from him yet because the Saints clearly just like him however they can get him on the field. So to me, all of that makes him a very nice option at the end of a draft. But if he is now popular enough that he's going before Noah Fant and Evan Ingram, then that's nuts. And I think people are overrating the coulds as the what's going to happen because Adam Troutman... Isn't but like, let's look at. I think it depends what our past draft picks did, right? So like, this guy has Mark Andrews. So when you have Mark Andrews, who you're counting to give you like a ten point floor each week, should you take a more of a floor shot with the Noah Fant, or as high upside as you can get? Why like, is Noah Fant more of a floor player than? Uh, why does he a guy who can play quarterback and get goal line rushing touchdowns? And you know, like, come on, you like, I love Noah Fant. He won me a million dollars. I have a lot of Noah Fant, but. You cannot say a pure tight end has a higher ceiling than a guy who could play quarterback. I, so a guy that could catch 80 passes, I can't say that he has a higher ceiling than a guy who I have absolutely no idea what his touch count is going to look we're like. We're talking individual week 17 ceiling. I mean, if, if we're talking individual week 17, you can make a case for anybody. But the case for me is Noah Fant is a first round tight end in an offense that says it's going to be tight end friendly this year, who has produced in the past. Taysom Hill is, I have absolutely no idea what he is in an offense that I have absolutely no idea what it's going to look like. And I have absolutely no idea what he's going to be playing in week 17. So, I mean, if you like him fine, but to me, I, it's not somebody I'm ever picking ahead of Noah Fant or Evan Ingram. You can be as tight and friendly as you want, but if you, if your team is not good, you're not scoring touchdowns for half point PPR. That matters a lot, right? Like Cole Komet got a lot of targets was trash, right? We should expect the Saints to be well better than the Seahawks. And, you know, I, I've i seen the buzz about Noah mm-hmm. Fant. I think that Pete Carroll is dumb enough that he's going to try to force Noah Fant to be as good as possible to make his trade look better. Um, mm-hmm. But with specifically, if you have Kelsey or Andrews, can you think of a better tight end to pair him with than Taysom Hill? Where, like, if Noah Fant is starting over Mark Andrews a bunch of week, you already lost. I just, I mean, I guess that we just disagree on uh, the real potential for Taysom Hill. I, I mean, I know yeah, I all just, those things are possible, but I just, I think he's being overrated if he's ahead of guys who are very good players and have, you know, clear paths to opportunities. Yeah, I, I really think it comes down to the format, and that that's something I've tried to 
factor in more in my draft. Cause, you know, my, my underdog drafts last year, I was playing way too much to advance. And I did advance, you know, well above average rate of teams. I, you know, I flamed out in the playoffs because I think I, I drafted my teams that way. So I have been focusing more this year on the ultimate ceiling on the week 17 stuff. And I, I am with Liam, like, you know, Taysom Hill, if it, it's what, it's a 3% chance that he's, you know, the same starting quarterback in week 17. But if he is, like you, you know, you're gonna need that guy to have any chance to win the win the two million bucks. Yeah, and I'm not against the Taysom Hill case. I just think that I think that's too early to bet on the Taysom Hill case. And I, and again, I think it works. Like what I said is makes a lot of sense. Like think about if you have Mark Andrews or Kelsey, like you don't need Noah Fant's fifteen, like his like four spike weeks that he's gonna have, right? Like you have Mark Andrews. You're not ideal. Like if, if unless Mark Andrews is getting injured. Or is very bad. Like you're not going to need those points from Noah Fant. He's not going to give you 25. Like a good week from him is like 15, 16. Scores a touchdown, get some catches, get some yards. Whereas like Taysom Hill, maybe he's a zero for you all year. You still have Andrews. You're still doing fine. Like so, yeah. We'll, we'll end on that. But the Titans I added. Um, nice pick. I really, nice pick with Dulcich. I I added Thomas and Dol- like Logan Thomas was really good a couple years ago. He's coming off injury. Really. Uh, tight end friendly quarterback. I obviously the field is down on him with where he's at, but I yeah. think the upside is there. Dolchitz, um, there's some buzz about him. He's a he's a rookie, like plays for a good offense. If we think about the tight ends that emerged as league winners last year late in the drafts, it was Knox, it was Schultz, it was Gronk, right? These are three tight ends who come from three good offenses, right? So Dolchitz, you know, there's a lot of buzz about him. I have a lot of Albert O. Um so and I just want to be betting on pieces from the Broncos that are cheap. So, yeah. So the Dalsich pick I liked, we had Mike Kliss on our podcast last week or the week before. And he, he said, he thinks, you know, by the second half of the season, he would expect Dalsich to be, you know, out producing Albert O in fantasy. Uh, the, the, the Thomas pick, I don't like so much for this team because I, he, he's going to miss the first four weeks of the season. At least he might, miss, cool. the first half, he might miss the first half of the season. I, I just, I just worry if you have enough, over the you know the first half of the season to you know to, to you know advance this team, I guess that, that that'd be my concern. Yeah, ultimately, like with me having six elite wide receivers, two elite quarterbacks, high volume at running back, like most of the field that doesn't have Andrews Kelsey, you know, like most of the field is not separating from me from tight end, even if I'm throwing in like three points a game. Whereas like I could be really separating if like. I'm at like w- with my three wide receivers sp- spots and flex. Like if I'm averaging a hundred points between those four, like I can advance whatever. And I just think Logan Thomas has huge upside that uh, people just don't, you know, like I, I know it's, it's a gross pick. I could see it on Matt's face, but we're going to name this one. <laughs> I, I disagree on the ceiling for Logan Thomas. He's a, a volume guy. How many points did he have uh, two years ago? Half point PPR. Take a guess. <laughs> I don't have the number on half point. Take a guess. Take a guess. Take a guess. (laughs) I have no idea how many total half PPR points he scored a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I do know that he played in an offense where it was him and Terry McLaurin and nobody else. Right. Yeah, that's that's my thing. There's a lot more target competition there now. Yeah, but Wentz is a tight end guy. Yeah, I think that gets overrated quite a bit. Wentz spent his best years in an offense that had Zach Ertz, then Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, and not very good wide receivers, so... I don't, it, yeah, it, it's hard to say with the Colts offense. Like, they had really bad. Like, I, I hear what you're saying. He was in a tight end offense and then he wasn't. Um, 
Anyways, let's wrap up the team here. I went with the two seven six three. This is how I like to build my zero running back teams. Um, ideally, like a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago, my tight ends would have had Taysom Hill a little bit. Um, other guys, like I probably would have gotten a falling Noah fan or Nujoku. Um, but we got six elite wide receivers: Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, Marquise Brown, Gabriel Davis, Chris Godwin, and Brandon Ayuk. We got a bunch of bodies at running back, some high upside shots some handcuffs um, and some pass catching dudes tight end group. seems like we're, you guys are pretty down on, I, you know, if you squint hard enough, I think love Evan Ingram, as I say, yeah, we're, we're, we're huge Ingram guys. So that, yeah, you got that one, right? Well, it, I mean, if that's the case and Logan Thomas comes back week four, you know, like for, that's fine. For, what, for what it's worth, I think Logan Thomas is fine as a floor play at that level. And I, I think it's okay when you wait to mix in a floor guy. And I like the ceiling on Dulcich and I like the floor and ceiling on Evan Ingram. So I don't have a problem with, with Logan I just Thomas. Don't say, why is Logan Thomas a floor guy? To me, he's a ceiling guy. He's, he's, lo- he's a low ADAC guy too. Yeah. yeah he's, he's not working downfield. You guys don't remember him in college, man. He was the <laughs> he was a quarterback. That quarterback doing all the nap rushes. So now I think we got to really yeah, that was, dude, this, here. You couldn't get Taysom old, Hill, so you want to get somebody else a tight end <laughs> who used to play quarterback. <laughs> hey man, hey, maybe if X, X maybe if Carson, Bill, if, maybe uh, if Carson Wentz and uh, if Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke go down, I think the one player missing from this roster was Tyree Jackson. Uh, you guys forget that the Browns have historically been a tight end funnel defense who the. Who the <laughs> Washington plays week 17. We get real nitty gritty. That, that was like that was two like years, years ago. <laughs> Logan Thomas, 110 targets, 700 yards, six touchdowns. Average. I don't catch, think that's in yards. his range of pretty outcomes decent, this season. Decent. But <laughs> yeah, no, it, I, I, I like the team. Uh, well, you know, it, it's a it's a unique unique build as far as you know positional allocation. Uh, plenty of week 17 correlation. So it's that. Type of team I would expect to see you build, Liam. And Liam did win a million bucks on underdogs, so maybe we should be listening to his his player takes too. <laughs> That's right. I think uh, the tight end position I'm in tune with. Okay. Like I think the running back position I'm pretty bad at finding those late round darts. Maybe that's just like the market is, but I've had some success at hitting some tight ends that the market's down on in, in the past. Not saying Logan Thomas is going to be it, but <laughs> he might I'm, be. I'm buying. I'm hey, that's the whole point of arguing this stuff out. We're all ultimately guessing. It's a, it's a matter of trying to make educated guesses and then talking to other educated guessers and maybe finding what where we're coming up short, what we should be thinking about a little bit more. You heard Matt draft 80% Logan Thomas, sell your house, you know, make sure you get your bags full. Do not leave Thomas. an underdog draft without a former quarterback <laughs> at tight end. This was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. Excited to rip another one. Um, in the in the future, I yeah, we'll appreciate sure. you coming on. He he is at Chess Liam on Twitter. You can find him on the Liam Murphy YouTube channel. Liam, you know, thank you for joining us because this was fun. And why don't you tell folks more about what they can look for coming from you? Uh, yeah, just check me out on Twitter. I do I try to do streams usually uh, daily. I got one at 3 p.m. Eastern today. Should be fun. Stop on by and make sure you guys smash that like button, hit the subscribe button. Help these guys out on Draft Sharks. They're don't you have Don't you have a uh, former Bachelor contestant Tanner Tolbert coming on soon? I do, I do. <laughs> I uh, I don't know much about Tanner, but I was ripping some high boy. stakes. Some high, yeah. It could be the it could be Villain Week. I don't, I don't know how <laughs> the public is going to react to him. I got no qualms with him. 
And uh, I was funny story. I'm gonna tell this on my stream, but a couple of weeks ago he won the PGA Millie Maker, and I came to know him because I was doing a uh, on DraftKings. They have a $555 option best ball, and I've been in those streets and right as golf finished. So this guy was basically sweating his golf lineups. It became his it became his pick on the clock in these slow drafts. And he made that pick. So this guy, <laughs> like, he's not like finishing the golf show. He's like, okay, yeah, making yeah. like that's a grinder. I respect that. It is. Yeah, for sure. Can definitely yeah. respect that effort. And we've known Tanner at least from TV for a while. So it's it's fun. Should that's fun, gonna yeah. do it. For this episode of the podcast, head over to DraftSharks.com now to find every episode. You can also su subscribe to the YouTube channel to get notified every time we go live. Get these shows in their earliest form. Of course, you can also find the DraftSharks podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever else you like to get your pods. For Liam Murphy, for Jared Small, and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for something with us.